Hey gang, so I am taking a hiatus through the end of this year and I'm going to be handing off the mic to some awesome guest hosts and I figure let's just start with the best. Shasti Conrad is the chair of the King County Democrats and she's here to give a wrap up of this year's election along with our friend Will Casey. Shasti, over to you my friend. Thank you so much, Stefan. Um, thanks for giving us this opportunity to talk about what a crazy election uh, season and week we have had. Um, and I absolutely wanted to bring in my buddy who we've done this show many times and been able to talk about all the issues, uh, local and national, Will Casey. Um, Later in the show, we're going to have some amazing folks who won their races um, across the county. And so we'll talk about those um, real bright spots from this election season. Um, but let's start with a rough one. <laughs> so, Will, what the hell happened in Seattle? What do we <laughs> well, make of it? Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me, Shasti, and, uh, and just Stefan as well. Always appreciate the opportunity to come on the pod. Um, I think that, you know, we saw here in Seattle... Uh, an issue that we have with pretty much all of our off-year elections, right? And I think that as much as, you know, the sort of more conservative candidates tried to run as a slate and the more progressive candidates were very open about the fact that they were supporting one another, um, I do think each of these races kind of has its own sort of unique situations and much to the chagrin of uh, people who like to sort of trumpet their overwhelming victory on election night. Um, I'm looking at you in the post alley or <clears throat> Q13. Um, you know, this is uh, a much closer election that it ended up looking like as we've seen all these votes come in uh, with the exception of the mayor's race. So I think we should probably start there. Um, and I think, you know, what we saw was a different set of coalitions brought to the ballot box than we have seen in the last um, couple of mayoral elections here in Seattle. And that's, I think, you know, undeniably because of the, you know, personal stories and narratives um, of both of the candidates, right? Like you had in Bruce, someone who had strong ties to the business community was certainly supported by, you know, um, PACs funded by the same sort of landlords and, uh, you know, corporate interests that we're used to opposing here in Seattle. Um, but he also had a much stronger and genuine connection with uh, the communities in South Seattle that have been left out by uh, those corporate interests in the past. And so I think, you know, what we're seeing in his candidacy is, you know, an opportunity to put those interests that have backed him to the benefit of the communities he's come from. I'm personally very skeptical based on uh, what I've seen him do in 12 years uh, as a city councilor and sort of his record on holding powerful interests accountable. I did not vote for him. I'll be very clear about that. But I do think that, you know, for the best interest of the city, we, you know, should at least give him an opportunity to try and prove us wrong in the way that he governs. Yeah, I thought Erica Barnett from Publicola made a, a good point a couple of days ago about like how the hell Bruce Harrell, who was on city council for 12 years, is being painted as like the guy with fresh ideas, you know, like, oh, wow, new energy as opposed to, you know, Lorena, who's currently on the city council. Um, do you make any like the sort of anti city council sentiments? Do you think that was at play at all? Well, I mean, I'll say uh, I did work in the mayoral primary. Um, I consulted on Justin Farrell's primary campaign. I did not end up agreeing with uh, all of the decisions that she made. But, you know, um, I think that the polling we saw in that race did bear out this sort of like anti-incumbent sentiment. Um, it is kind of, I think, uh, I don't want to play Monday morning quarterback here in terms of like how the other progressive candidates ran their races. Um, that's, you know, not in a place uh, for me to say. But I think that what we did see here that was really frustrating was a city with a very short memory, 
right? And it does kind of make sense, um, given how many people are moving to Seattle every year, that we do have a relatively short-term memory when it comes to political careers, um, and especially given how much of a central role the city council played last year as Mayor Durkin generally just abdicated her responsibility. So, you know, I think that that was a smart play, um, given the polling from Bruce's campaign. Um, but I think something that a lot of folks criticize his campaign for, and I think what we'll keep a close eye on and how he governs is the lack of any real substance to a lot of uh, his policy plans and, you know, a real demonstration that he had sort of understood the change in people's needs here in Seattle um, since the last time he was on the council. So. Yeah, I also think about the fact that it was Seattle, you know, and the rent is too damn high and all of that of the way that like folks are getting priced out as we, you know, saw wins in other parts of the county in South King and East King. Um, you know, it's like, who's left? And those folks probably do trend more towards sort of business conservative mindsets um, and, you know, view the city through that lens. And I think you're right about also the history as we get more people who haven't been around for, you know, decades in the city, you know, they don't have the same ties to those old battles or old failed policies. And so it, you can remake a Bruce into somebody who's new and will bring a fresh perspective. Yeah. And I think those fresh perspective, or at least categorizing the ideas that they were pushing forward as a fresh perspective is a really uh, useful segue into the other two citywide races and, and sort of that were competitive at least um, that, and sort of how those planned out, because I think that was really the most frustrating part of how the, this entire election was covered. And that like, because, you know, and I worked on the city attorney's race in the last few uh, weeks of the campaign. And I think something that was very frustrating to see in that, comp uh, you know, competition in, in particular is just because Seattle's status quo in criminal justice work, at least, um, had been moving towards more progressive policies and had, you know, as a result, um, seen a decline, not as much as many advocates have been asking for, but some decline in misdemeanor prosecutions coming out of the city attorney's office. Just because that data-backed approach was the status quo, the reactionary ideas of law and order politics that a lot of these folks were pushing, not just in, in the criminal justice space, but also in the overall attitude towards um, you know solving the homelessness crisis, um, is frankly, uh, just mind blowing that that was perceived as a fresh approach when it's the thing that failed so badly, we had to move to the current approach, right? Like just because we haven't been doing something in the last five years doesn't mean it's new, right? Um, it's, if it, and, I, and I do believe that if a lot of voters had that uh, framed for, you know, uh, as, as like an old approach that people were trying to go back to rather than a new idea, I think the voters would have had a very different reaction. Yeah. I mean, I do, you're, you know, the races that you're talking about are, you know, Nikita Oliver versus Sarah Nelson and then um, Ann Davidson versus Nicole Thomas Kennedy. And it is fascinating to me that, you know, even though it looks like they may not make it past the win point, um, Nikita and um, Nicole both did better than Lorena. And so that means there were Bruce, Bruce and those um, candidates who far more progressive running on sort of um, abolitionist platforms running on, um, you know, that like this, the system's not working particularly for communities of color and for, um, for poor people. So 
what happened there? I mean, I think we also need to talk about all the money that was spent <clears throat> um, to try to keep those folks out. Yeah, and I think the money is really the most important factor here, right? Like we had a Republican running citywide who only had a snowball's chance in hell of winning an election in Seattle because of all of the establishment interests who united behind her, right? Behind Ann Davison's campaign, both in her campaign proper and in her, uh, you know, the PAC that raised over $365,000 against her, right? And I've also, you know, as someone who works in communications here, I've never seen the Seattle Times editorial board go in so hard on a down ballot race it was like an op-ed a day to keep the change away, right? And it really was just like galling to see. And, you know, I think that that is going to be a very significant challenge for them as they sort of, you know, get further and further out of step with the next generation of readers they need to subscribe to them. Um, but going back to the money piece, I just have to say something personally because, you know, this is one of those conversations that I think gets left out of, um the, these postmortem analysis, which is who actually ran these races, right? Um, because Seattle is a very democratic city. You know, we're not as progressive in at least in an odd year electorate as you know many of us had hoped. But I think it's also important to recognize because in a lot of these conversations, the progressives are always framed as the people trying to push the envelope. And if only we hadn't tried so hard, you know, maybe this conservative backlash wouldn't have happened. And it's always a framing of appeasing the people who are uncomfortable. And that's just not how we're going to get to the place we need to get to. And so, you know, it's not only Ann Davison that we have to hold accountable for the next four years. It's everyone who was on her team, right? Like, Governors Gregoire and Locke, who I don't know the last time they lived in Seattle, thought that it was necessary to weigh in after. And I, and I will just say, uh, these people do not have good records lately anyway, right? I, I believe it was Governor Gregoire who wrote a letter of recommendation for Joe Fain after he was, you know, credibly accused of yep. sexual assault. That is, that is very true. Yes. That. So that, yeah. So that he could run the Bellevue Chamber of Commerce. Like, this is accountability can't only come through elections, right? Like there has to be a line that you cross that means, and I'm not calling for a cancel culture here. What I'm calling for is people being held accountable for the consequences of their actions and the choices that they make, right? And so when you look at people like CN4 partners, who are the political consultants who ran Ann Davison's campaign, I've worked with them on a number of races. I've worked with them at a congressional level. I worked with them on the Secretary of State's race last year. I am not in the, you know, dad energy of like, I'm not just mad, I'm disappointed. I'm both furious and disappointed that this is where these people's values lie. And this is a decision that you should not be able to come back from, right? Like I would not recommend to any candidate who asked my advice to ask to, you know, employ someone whose values are apparently this flexible, where they're like willing to elect a law and order Trump Republican who will serve in office until 2025 after the election of the next president, whoever that may be, right? The consequences here are huge. Like unimaginable amounts of suffering can come from this woman's policy choices. And she could not have gotten there alone, right? And so we just have to be very vigilant and recognize that there have to be costs to choosing to empower and enable these types of people in our city, right? Sorry, yeah. rant over. I'm going to step on my soapbox now. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, look, I, uh, I, uh, I was face off against, you know, Gregoire and Locke and Como hit pieces in the New York Times, like definitely having to be the face against, you know, two incredibly well-established Demo former Democratic governors who were caping for this Republican. And like you said, like 
chose the Trump's Republican Party to be a part of. So, um, you know, it is it is disheartening. And I think that we do have to hold them accountable uh, for every move that Anne makes. Um, you know, this it isn't over. Like, just because she's in office doesn't mean we all just sort of give up and, and go back home. Um, I also think the biggest thing that we need to we have to just say out loud is, you know, there was this sort of tension between, um, you know, the Democrats and these groups, you know, sort of the People's Party, Working Families Party, Democrats, um, uh, you know, Democratic Socialists, that like, the, oftentimes we sort of are at odds with each other, but that's, it's, we're not going to win. I think we have to recognize that we don't have the votes, as Hamilton famously says, right, in the, in the musical, you don't have the votes. And so I think if we'd been better at being able to build that coalition, I mean, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that with Nicole Thomas Kennedy, every single Seattle Democratic um, organization, including King County Democrats, supported her. And I think that it, it did matter. I think it helped her with building her base. Um, and, you know, call me a corporate maximalist or whatever you want for being um, for doing these sort of standard practices of the Democratic Party to help win elections. But I've won. I've won elections doing that. And I am tired of seeing really amazing progressives lose by a few percentage points because we weren't willing to come together and figure out how to take those steps in towards each other. Those of us in the Democratic Party are going to have to be a lot more open and welcoming to the folks who want to stay on the outside. And those who want to stay on the outside are going to have to be willing to let go of some of those purity tests. Um, and we have to figure out how to work together. And otherwise, we're going to keep losing against three million dollars that were spent to buy this election in Seattle. That's what we were up against. And I always will, I will always prize the people power over that money power. But it's just unfortunate that this time it didn't work. Well, and I think there are also structural reforms that we can look at. And I know this is something that Indivisible is going to be, you know, discussing in more detail in the coming months. I know that there was a bill dropped in the state legislature last session that didn't go anywhere. And we should really be turning our attention to that um, next year because there are structural um, biases against progressive candidates who are trying to deliver for the people who they're organizing with. Um, and I think that it's worth just doing a quick rundown of the forces that sort of kept this uh, conservative slate atop the polls and how we were able to beat it two years ago and the differences, right? So, because two years ago, for those who, who didn't follow the local elections that closely, Amazon tried to buy our elections with over a million dollars in, in corporate donations to a outside PAC, right? We introduced some uh, legislation that reformed um, the corporate finance. And I think that, you know, there's obviously a lot more detail to get into about this stuff that we don't have time for today. But the main reason we were able to wrest the megaphone away from those people two years ago is that we had an active Democratic presidential primary with two legitimate progressives who used their enormous megaphones, email lists, social media followings, everything, the ability to generate national media attention to overcome the amount of paid advertising that was spent two years ago. This year, we didn't have that, right? And I think that if we keep trying to pull an inside straight like this over and over and over again in these odd year elections, we're just gonna keep getting outspent by the people who have already, because of the failure of our current public policies, way more wealth than they'll ever be able to spend. And they have no motivation to do anything aside from spend as much as it takes to keep, to hang on to it, right? So that's my closing thought is that we really just need to, you know, find a way to break that structural barrier. And frankly, you know, it could help by taking some uh, wind out of the consultant class as well. Yeah. 
Well, definitely. You know, I'm all for uh, trying to move local elections to even years. And we have a great case study in Los Angeles has just done that. And they're expecting 800,000 new voters to participate in municipal elections because of that change next year. And I hope that we can do that here in Washington state as well. Thank you as always, Will Casey. It's always fun to spar with you and uh, hear your perspective on all of this. Um, folks, right after this, uh, we're going to hear from um, Hamdi um, and Toshiko, who both won port races. So thanks so much. Two excellent candidates. I really hope you stick around to hear their interviews and could not be more excited to see them you know, transform the port. All right. I am so excited to speak with our next guest. Um, she's just an absolute powerhouse. And this week, she became commissioner-elect Toshigo Hasegawa for the Port of Seattle. And that's her little one, Keiko. Hello, hello. Uh, congratulations. We are so, so, so excited for you. So <laughs> um, tell me, how does it feel? How did election night feel? Oh man, it feels so, it feels so surreal. Like election night itself <clears throat> was just this purgatory of not knowing what was going to happen. And we knew that we needed, you know, going, being considered the progressive in the race and going up an incumbent that we needed to be within three points if we were going to pull it out in the end. When those numbers dropped and we were neck and neck with the incumbent, we felt so good. I mean, it was it was one of the most surreal moments. And I just like I just, you know, you release and you're like, oh, like we did it, you know, and it was just amazing. It was amazing to be there with the team and the community and to see it happen. Sorry, I put down Keiko. Yeah, no, it feels yeah. incredible. That's awesome. I know you were you were in a room full of amazing supporters from across the county. And um, yeah, to see those numbers come in the first night, I think we all were hopeful, but to have it be so clear was just great. And it's just continued to be awesome throughout the whole week. So my initial reaction was like, okay, so I'm seeing, I was actually doing an interview with, uh, with the International Examiner. And then all of a sudden from the other side of the room, I hear, Tosh! Because that's what my husband calls me. And I look up and he's just like this. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is it? Oh my gosh, what is it? You know? <laughs> and then I saw it and the crowd goes crazy. And then my my immediate next reaction was, where's Hamdi at? <laughs> I was looking for like, like how did she do? And like same logic, right? She was right there two points behind Stephanie. And I just knew that she was going to pull it out the end. And I just lost it like super just elated it's just you know it's 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 incredible when you think about the implications of what we're going to be able to accomplish together and yeah. um and to have run a campaign um for position four while Hamdi ran her campaign for position three was so affirming in so many ways to be able to share that space with her right it made it not just grounded and like and and we were able we were able to validate each other and create safe space for each other and otherwise you know sort of tense spaces but she actually made it fun right yeah. she's such a joy to be around and she's so smart she is so savvy um and she has such an awesome sense of humor that it really made the late nights something that i could look forward to yeah. Right. Yep. Um, and because campaigning is so hard, 
But to have that light spirit around you um, and to know that that's going to be able to go into the port commission um, as well just gives me so much excitement. Um, it's such good energy, and that's exactly what the port needs. So we feel yes. really good about it. It's pretty incredible because now the port will have a progressive majority and a BIPOC majority. Right. So, I mean, that is transformative. Do quick history on the port, right? I know Hamni, I think, is going to join us in a minute, but there had never been anyone from South King County. I think right. there have been very few people of color. Um, so it really is like a real change for this long institution that has yeah, been typically yeah. fairly conservative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in it's over a hundred year history. There's never been a woman of color. And so it's not lost on me or Hamdi that I'm the first Asian American woman. And she's the first black woman. Um, and, you know, she is a refugee. And that's, you know, when we talk about immigration status, that has a huge role to play also in who's even qualified to be at the port. So understanding, right, a history of exclusion and that not everybody has had proximity or access to its opportunities, whether as, you know, workers or as businesses, you know, we're going to be able to bring those, that perspective, but also those community connections because, and we we're talking about this today. There's no shortage, sorry, up and down with the baby. It's like the baby <laughs> workout plan, you know? Um, there's no shortage of opportunities on the horizon, right? We have a historic trillion-dollar infrastructure um, package coming down from the federal government. And, you know, the Port of Seattle gets a huge bite at that apple. And so we will recover, and we'll recover organically. But it's not just what we do. It's going to be how we do it and how we're bridging the gap for historically excluded community members to access that prosperity. And this is that exciting opportunity where we're able to close the gap um, and you know break cycles of intergenerational poverty. Um, and so you, that's what I mean by, I have to sit with the gravity. I was sort of shell-shocked for three days my husband was celebrating like we went on Tuesday and like, and yes, but for me, I, it still sinks in. And like, I'm still, even just talking with Hamdi about it, like moved to tears when we think about just what a big deal this is. It's yeah. so important. And the voters saw that and to be entrusted by that many people with something so big is it's inspiring. So you know, we're ready to get to work. We're ready for what's next. Like I, what are, what are some of those first things that you want to do when you get there? Well, we've already, it's, it's been what, less than 24 hours since the, since King five and the Seattle times called it. So I've got my port 101 briefing binder already dropped off at my house. They're wasting no time making sure that we get, you know, studied up on all of it. Um, but we have a lot of work to do in terms of just taking a look at eliminating the the access to um the, eliminating the barriers to access to contracts for minority business is going to be so important and then also making sure that we're uplifting workers um because i think what covid did is it made a really strong case for the important role of unions specifically in supporting families during times of need um and so taking a look at these industries as we build back how we're transforming them to be more sustainable, but also investing in workers to make sure that nobody gets put out of the job as we abandon a fossil fuel paradigm and step into a new paradigm of renewable, sustainable energy. 
Um, so, you know, it's going to be really digging into it. And I think the, the, for me, the primary thing that comes to mind is addressing issues with the supply chain. Everybody has a supply chain. About it, yep. Okay. As a consumer or as a business, it's just, it's part of our daily life. It has to be addressed. Um, and investing in our infrastructure is going to be a huge piece of that. So what's the big picture that we're bringing to it? So we're looking at modes of transportation. We're looking about, you know, electrifying some of the, you know, our rail and the way that we're going to be able to streamline the flow of goods um, around, around the region. Um, you know, how we're going to be modernizing our terminals to be fully electric and accommodate shore power. Um, you know, how we're going to be investing in the workforce to make sure that youth and women and people of color have the skills they need to enter the maritime industry specifically, because there's a huge labor shortage in maritime. And these are historically yep. white and historically male institutions. Well, this is an opportunity where we have an inroad in to good paying union jobs uh, yep. for everyday people. So, and that's, you know, as we, as we modernize our systems, as we modernize our infrastructure, these are, these are going to be good for families. It's going to be good for business. Uh, environmentalists love it. There's a win here for everybody. And so that's why we're just so excited for the work ahead. <laughs> yes. How can people help you? Like, is these, you know, folks voted for you. They're excited to get you there. Um, how can they, how can they help you in, in, you know, this transition to, into the role? You know, people can continue to pay attention to the port. I think one of the primary issues um, and why it's operated with so little accountability representation is because people have not paid attention to what it does. They don't know what it is. They don't know why it's so important. And that's not a failure upon the people. That's what happens when you don't have an electorate that is actually representative of the public at large. And so, um, you know, to be able to now have you know port operations on your radar continue to pay attention weigh in right hold us accountable um there's so much by the way of environmental uh sustainability right and and workers rights and and business opportunity and economic development and international relations and uh, you know conservation of our wildlife and our waterways restoration of our orcas and our salmon it's all interconnected um and it impacts all of us right um, our quality of life, um, our, you know, public health, health outcomes, even, you know, Maritime High School with its, you know, and public education, there's something here that impacts every single person. And so continue to watch, right, continue to weigh in, and because we're going to need political support to be able to do the transformational work that needs to be done in order to make a meaningful difference in the lives of people. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for running. We are so happy that you won and you're going to be in that seat. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take thank a little you. break now and we'll see you. We'll see you on the other side. Bye. Thanks. Let's go. Bye. Hello. Hi, Shasti. We are so lucky because we have another amazing powerhouse queen who is also now commissioner elect Hamdi Muhammad. Welcome. Congratulations. Yay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And um, Shasti, thank you for what you do for our democracy and for our region. It's an honor to always share space with you. Oh, right back at you. It felt really good to get to uh, help support you, especially in this race. So so tell me, so how was election night and how has this week been? How are you feeling? You know, um, election night was good for our race. Um, 
you know, there's there's other races that I felt really sad about. Um, but overall, you know, our, our race was good during election night. We felt really good about the numbers that was coming in. Um, we were behind by two points. And we knew that, you know, working people often vote late. And so we were really hopeful that um, the numbers would increase over time. Um, and that and it did. And it did. And it did. And it felt so good. Um, you know, we ran a really positive campaign focused on the issues, focused on the policy and impacted community members and small businesses. And um, it just felt good to know that voters um, wanted to see our vision um, end up in the port of Seattle and that they uh, chose to elect us. And I'm just happy you know, I'm grateful for everyone who participated in our democracy and, and that voted. Yeah, we were just talking to, to Toshiko about what it was like for the two of you to be campaigning alongside each other and how meaningful it is that both of you, you know, as women of color can support each other and are making history by That's being elected cool. into these roles. Um, what was campaigning like? Any reflections now that that piece of it's done for now? Ooh, about what, what yeah. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely call it running for office for a reason because you are, you are never walking. <laughs> it always felt like there was something that was happening and we constantly um, needed to be somewhere or get something done. And our race was countywide. And um, a lot of people don't know what the Port of Seattle is. Um, most people don't know about who the port commissioners are. And so we really ran also an educational campaign, letting people know that the Port of Seattle is our leading economic driver in the Pacific Northwest, that it is the government that oversees SeaTac Airport, our seaports, including managing, you know, over $70 million of um, that, you know, dollars that come from our property taxes. And um, it was those sort of informational messaging that we had to also get out there to help people pay attention to the race. But um, overall, it was a great experience. I really love meeting um, our residents and voters and um, talking to them about the issues that matter the most to them and how we can have a port that really centers their needs and creates economic um, you know, activity and generates more dollars for our region and what that specifically means to them, talking to them about economic development, workforce development, what does jobs look like, you know, coming out of a, a pandemic. And so um, it's just, it was an honor to be able to step up and put my name on the ballot. And so I just, I felt really grateful, especially being, you know, someone who came to this country as a refugee. Um, one of my first ports of entries was actually at SeaTac Airport. My mom worked at that airport. My mom cried after I got elected or, you know, when, when she sees these numbers and she just um, is just overwhelmed with joy and is looking forward to me representing our, our community. I uh, had the privilege of coming down to your election night um, party and it was really beautiful to just see the diversity in the room and, you know, folks who are so often left out of the process getting to be getting to celebrate and getting to be there um, for you. And also you were uh, with the SeaTac City Council candidates who all won. Um, can you talk just a little bit about like what it was kind of building that coalition and, and bringing uh, particularly sort of, I think, East African um, immigrants into into doing this electoral work? 
Yeah, um, SeaTac, uh, those races were really great. I'm, I'm a resident of SeaTac, and so those are going to be my council members. Um, it's, it's, it's really great to be able to have, you know, diversity in our, in our, in our government, right? I often say, um, for us to be able to participate in a competitive global market at our highest capability, we have to be represented by the full breadth of our community. And SeaTac is a very diverse community. I mean, the Highline School District, there's over 175 languages spoken in, in that in that dis, in that school district. And so um, being able to have council members who are bringing different lived experience, professional experience to the table, I think will help um, govern the city better. And so um, it was great to see, um, you know, new leadership there as well. Um, and I'm looking forward to collaborating very closely with a lot of those South King County cities, including SeaTac. Yeah. We are just so proud um, and so thrilled that you're going to be leading the way and that you're the one who gets to, you know, really bring South King into this countywide role. I mean, so it's just awesome. Congratulations. We're so happy for you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity to share today and to all the, the, the listeners and those who are on live watching us. Um, thank you so much for participating in our democracy. Continue to use your voice and um, vote when you can. Thank you. Okay, we are back with two of the brightest spots from this election cycle. I am so excited to get to speak to these two um, because they've had quite the week. So starting up, we want to go with Hugo Garcia running and now I think winning his seat. <laughs> and then Carmen Rivera, who just pulled ahead, um, who's running for Renton City Council, and we think she's going to do this. We think you got it right. Uh, we're not we're not making any anything okay. until every ballot is counted. Because I stand by that every vote counts, every ballot counts, and so I want to see no every person. ballot get counted before um, I officially celebrate or claim any type of like victory. Um, this is for the people of Renton and for the voters. So I'm just incredibly grateful to see the trend go in the direction it's been going. Yep. But we yeah, can be same. a little excited, a little happy, right? <laughs> Our love the trends, love the trends. <laughs> yeah, we love the trend. Cautiously just... optimistic, cautiously yes. optimistic. So you both were down by a few votes on election night. Uh, Hugo, how did that feel? And then how did the rest of the week go for you? Uh, man, it was, it was still a lot of relief. I would say I anticipated I was going to be down a little bit. Uh, my goal was really to be down less than 500. I knew if I was there, I was within striking distance. Um, and having seen what happened in the primary, uh, where we were down substantially, uh, it really just, uh, gave me a, a lot of motivation the last two, three weeks to put in a lot of work out there, which we did. And, I felt strong about that. So even though we were down, I was still pretty optimistic. I was a little bit um, happy in a sense. I mean, as happy as you can be when you're down, uh, because I knew that we were within striking distance. So yeah, for sure. And then, how many nights after did you go? Did you go up? Was it the uh, not not until Thursday? Uh, I was down 195 Tuesday night. 
188 Wednesday. And then on Thursday, it's when we flipped it and uh, took a 26-vote lead. And then on Friday, grew that to 433 LFG. That is so awesome. Um, and I think, you know, we know progressive voters tend to vote late. And so we are hopeful that the those trends continue. And we think we've got this. So congratulations. Um, all right. And Carmen, for you, sort of similar. Uh, it was looking a little bit more bleak for you on election night. And then things started to shift. So how did that, how was election night for you? And then how did the rest of the week go? Well, I'm really grateful. I have, um, I'm working with Upper Love Strategies, as is Hugo. And um, I'm just going to say, uh, we call him Data Daddy, but his name's Michael Fertakis. And he is a numbers master. And he is somebody that, you know, going into election night, he said, don't have your hopes up. You told me, you know, you are it's conservative votes majority. Don't have your hopes up. And I asked, okay, so what's the lowest we can be down and still have hope? And that's where I was kind of gaining for was like, if I could be at 42% or higher, I held, I was going to have hope. But um, because I actually had an opposite experience of Hugo, I came out of the primary as the leading candidate. So I blew everybody out of the primary water. And I was actually 2,000 votes ahead of my opponent coming out of the primary. But for me, I knew what that meant because I was born and raised in written and I've been around written politics my entire life. That meant the target on my back got way bigger. And it did. And I can say there were people <laughs> in Renton and outside of Renton who were throwing everything they could at us. And so it made me motivated to work that much harder. But going into election night, I didn't I didn't have I was hopeful, but I was prepared yeah. hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And that was my entire attitude. And so to see we were only down like 127 votes, like I was like, ooh, that's striking distance. Like that's you know, that's what they tell us. That's you're you're right behind them. And then the next night it was Wednesday. 4 p.m. it was 100 votes and then Thursday it was 77 votes and I literally was just like oh okay and then we pulled ahead on Friday at 452 votes taking 57 percent of the latest count and I felt like I could just breathe a little bit easier I was just I'm very grateful it's so amazing um and like you said we count every vote we want to make sure that it's all good, free and fair elections here. Um, we believe in democracy, um, but I think those trends are really great. And we'll be ready to ballot chase if we need to. But wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to? <laughs> if we could just call. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, so you both were first time candidates. You're both running in cities in um, South King County, which um, haven't always gone for Democrats. You know, it hasn't always been um, clear, especially for candidates of color. Any insights? What was it like campaigning? Um, what has it been like kind of running for these offices? Maybe Carmen, we'll start with you. Well, um, my mom ran for uh, city council twice and uh, 11th LD rep once. And I used to door knock with her. I was 12 years old, I think, when she started. And I had a little, I was a little prepared going into it. Um, but the things that the things that surprised me at the first time candidate, things that, that shocked me at the first time candidate. I mean, this was the year that Renton could have seen a progressive majority council for the first time in its history. In its history, we could have seen a progressive majority council. I am grateful that I'm, I'm I might be able to get on there. We'll have a pretty even split of um, of political affiliations and values and beliefs on the city council. But for a lot of cities, it would have been the first time for a progressive majority, and that's huge. 
out here in South King County where we're often forgotten about and left behind. And so it gave me a lot of hope seeing how progressive we ran our campaigns, the progression that was going on in the region, but also the conversations that were happening at a national and federal level between the parties, like all of those factors. And I think, you know, we tend to go whiplash back and forth from conservative to progressive. And so last year we saw amazing conversations happen. I think we're getting a little bit of whiplash back this year as a, as a result, this voting season. And so this was probably the hardest year for any of us as young progressives to run. And so for me and Hugo to get through is a feat and I'm really, really proud of us. Yeah, for sure. I agree. It's, it's uh, a, it was a lot of work. It, it is very challenging mentally, physically, um, spiritually. Um, I had, you know, the fortunate experience to have been really involved four years ago when we first flipped the Buren City Council. Um, but I saw how hard it was. I saw that all of our um, uh, male brown candidates were way behind and in most races uh, in the primaries and had to make up ground until the very last day in the generals. Um, so, you know, I kind of kept that in the back of my mind as I, even though I knew I, ha I had put in the work, I've been doing the work on commissions, two of them for, for three plus years. Um, you know, you just have to make sure that you stay in front of, of voters and let them know that you're, doing the work, you're going to be doing the work and you're accessible. You're a normal person. You're, you're not, when I mean my normal and accessible person, you know, that's one of the things that people have said, Hey, I got your mailer. Yeah. At the doors. Or I saw the TV. Yeah. Thank you. That's so cool. And I'm like, yeah, well, I just want to make sure you realize that I'm an actual person. That's why I'm here in front of you. And I've been here and I want to continue to serve. Um, but it was really, really hard. Um, if it wasn't for the support from loved ones and um, orgs, organizations, uh, the LDs, um, sage leaders, other uh, groups that just made sure that we had a chance to get together, have some some spaces to to get energized. Um, I don't think we could have gotten to this point. So thank you. That includes you, Shasti. So thank you so much. I'm going to tail in on that. Like, could have done it without the orgs. Like, the grassroots organizations that are pushing for progressives and people of color, the Democrats in my lifetime have become such a robust organization, but also MLK labor. I would not have gotten into, I wouldn't be here without Democrats, King County Labor, and like Sage Leaders, One America, all the amazing organizations that help marginalized folk get into office and actually give us like an equitable, plan, equal playing field. It's not quite equitable, but equal playing field. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think I was supposed to, um, originally when I first started, I was told, oh, you won't have to do too much fundraising. We think you should be able to get something into like maybe 10 or 12,000 bucks and you should be good. Um, but, you know, I was going up against a multimillionaire, a winery owner, and had to go four times that much just to to get to this point where I am still down at the end of the general and have to wait three, four days to make up the difference. So, Yeah, it takes that full progressive coalition to do everything they can because 
those other interests are definitely pushing back. Um, well, I love both of you. I feel like you both had really great comms games in the ways in which you engaged voters. Um, I know, right? I can't wait. So, so Hugo, you were you were posting all on your social media channels like every time that you were out canvassing, and I just yeah. loved it. it. Was reminding people of the hard work that it takes to like knock all those doors. What like why did you feel like you wanted to do that? What was I, I think it's important because you know most people unless you're uh, really a wonk you don't understand what a commission is you don't understand that I'm already going to two four monthly meetings a month I've already spent eighty five meetings in the last three years over twelve hundred hours just volunteered putting in the work and and that's what it was about I wanted to share to folks that hey I'm going to continue to put in that work and here I am I'm out knocking doors every opportunity that I could. Uh, but more importantly, too, that I was um, getting folks to come with me. Uh, I think that was a difference. You know, I was able to get support from the labor unions, from the dams, but also just, uh, you know, friends. I was able to get some of my homies to do some uh, canvassing for the homie. Uh, I had Latinx friends. Uh, the last weekend, actually, I had a good friend of mine and my, my brother's that uh, does outreach to the Vietnamese community. She uh, lives here uh, not too far from me. And she, I knocked on her door and she's like, I can come in with you. I told her, man, there's so many uh, uh, Vietnamese folks around here. And she's like, yeah, let's go out together. And sure enough, man, and I really think that made a huge difference because we got a lot of great uh, conversations with folks once I was able to have a conversation a little bit more when, with somebody that spoke that language. So it was important to me, man, to me. And I, I love Twitter. I love socials, but not as good as TikTok and Carmen. Oh, my God. <laughs> Carmen Ooh. was legendary with TikTok. Um, I really, I think you, like, set it for, like, everybody else can never do it as well as you did it. So what was that? How, like, why did you decide you wanted to uh, talk about your journey running for office on TikTok like that? Well, I'm a Gemini sun, so and a Capricorn moon and rising. So anyone who knows astrology understands that I love to talk, but I'm also going to utilize social media as the beautiful tool that it is. If I can see certain idiots going viral doing the dumbest of things, I can definitely use it as a tool to educate people, enlighten people, give people insight. And so that's what I just started doing. And the thing about it is I just started posting and it became, and that's how I actually got to get voters. I was actually doing fundraising on TikTok. I had a TikTok was an amazing untapped resource that I recommend everybody utilize. And I think by next election cycle, everybody will be utilizing it because it's so easy to just get your message out there concisely to edit it, but also your reach. I'm on Renton TikTok. Like people in Renton see me on their for you page. The algorithm is weirdly specific so i mean it just worked out but i think you know being younger being authentic as me and hugo are and growing up in this area where like the iphone came out when i was a senior in high school okay i grew up in the time of myspace so like slowly we've learned that okay you can't get rid of social media we have to utilize it and that was just basically my attitude and just being like here it is are you going to keep using it when you're in office Absolutely. Oh, I'm going to share my entire journey. I'm, I'm very authentic. I want to put it out there because I want people to know because my biggest thing for running and Renton is to also create transparency and accountability in our city. I want everyone to know what's going on in Renton government and what's going on in city council. And so whatever I'm allowed to share, I'm going to be sharing it. Yeah. Love it so much. Yeah. Hugo, do you have anything else you want to say? I just want to say that I think that makes a complete sense, right? Especially as we're trying to make sure we get and set the path for folks to uh, build a bench behind us in essence, right? I, I, I want to make sure folks realize that it does take some time and investment, but you can do it. 
anybody can do it if you if you put in the time and effort to do it. But if people don't really know what it's like, it's that much harder. So that's why uh, what Carmen has done on TikTok, it, it just normalizes it. Like it's not that wonky. It's not that difficult. You just put in some time. And, and you can do things. So I think it's super critical, especially as we look at eventually getting the data and seeing that likely our our, our youth numbers are, you know, like always not as strong. And I think it's super important to work on that and focus on that. Well, thank you to both of you. Thank you for running. Thank you for stepping forward to support your communities, do this work. I am so thrilled to support you both as city council members in your cities. And uh, yeah, just, I hope you get a little bit of rest and uh, we'll see you on the other side of all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LFG. LFG, <laughs> South King County. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> thank you, thank you, and the bowl. We love you. Well, thanks. Thanks to both of you. And congratulations again. This has really been outstanding. And, uh, you know, uh, Shasti, just before you go, I'll just ask you, you know, people have been feeling pretty down about this election. I think this helped, right? Just the enthusiasm of everybody today and just knowing that there are some bright spots. What are your final thoughts? Yeah, I know it was it's been a real roller coaster of a week. Um, and I think like a lot of other folks, I felt pretty down on election night with the results in Virginia and India Walton and Buffalo and, you know, but then when I, you know, remembered and saw like Carmen and Hugo pulling ahead and what happened in SeaTac and Sarah Perry in for King County. County yes. My home. Sammamish. Home yes. We took three seats on the Sammamish city council. Like, I mean, there's so much good that really is happening across the County. And we just, we've got to keep focusing on, that work and remember that it takes all of us to keep doing this work to change hearts and minds and get these votes out and i'm just i'm so proud um that we have toshigo and hamdi and hugo and carmen and um, yeah. So thanks for creating the space, Stefan. It's been wonderful. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Thank you for your friendship. And thank you for guest hosting today. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Have a great week, everybody.